Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sidelines with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. Welcome back to the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family of shows. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling. This week, we're diving into USC Hoops 25-4 and start, the first time the Trojans have won 25 regular season games in the history of the program, and we're looking at the potential of any infield squad to make some noise over the next two weeks and beyond. They'll take on two ranked opponents to finish out the regular season this week before heading to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. I know you guys have a lot of questions, so we decided to open up the Herd on the Sidelines podcast to you guys. We solicited your guys' USC basketball inquiries, and my fellow Helium boy, Chris Trevino, is going to jump on to help us discuss this year's Trojans team, their potential to make another March Madness run, and break down the rumors connecting Andy Enfield and the Maryland job. Later in the episode, we'll welcome in special guest Chavez Goodwin. We talk with the six-year senior forward about his college basketball journey coming from Wofford after starting his career at College of Charleston. Goodwin also breaks down what advice he gives to the young players on USC's roster and what the d- dynamics are, like on a team with 18-year-olds as well as the gristled 24-year-old veterans like himself. And we have to ask Chavez about the emotions of senior day. We saw him with the tears coming down, streaming down his face, having his dad out to see him play in the Galen Center for the first time. We'll talk about all that. For any of you first-time listeners, the Heard on the Sidelines podcast, hosted by yours truly, Shotgun Spratling, is an attempt to take you behind the curtain a little bit, give you a behind-the-scenes feel as we interview people around USC sports, including players and coaches. Without further ado, let's bring in Chris Trevino to help us out with the Q&A section of this podcast. Chris, thanks for jumping on to help out. I know this is a, a little bit of an interconnected because you being a Maryland alum, and obviously a lot of these questions have to do a little bit with Maryland. So wanted to bring you in, get your insight as well. Full disclosure, I'm going to be completely biased when it comes to Maryland. <laughs> I'm just going to be completely objectivity out the door probably knew that when i was get, coming on this show but i just had to make it clear it's your honest up front honest up front and thank you for having me on the heard it on the sidelines podcast one of my favorite podcasts also remains the greatest flex any podcast a runner can do is bring a guest on to have them ask them questions you don't even he's like no you're a guest on my show to ask me questions that's that's how it goes around here we want your opinion too chris Ah, whatever. I'm just here. I'm a glorified uh, note taker in this case. But let's get into it. Let's start out with something easy. A couple people, a couple questions about Isaiah White. What is the word on him? Is he playing Tuesday? Uh, I have not got an update on him yet. Obviously, we are recording this pretty early. It's 5.30 a.m. on on the West Coast. So I haven't been able to check in and see anything there. Obviously, the fact that he went on the trip and was a a guy that's day-to-day they were hoping that he would be available by that Oregon game. 
They didn't think he would necessarily be available for the Oregon State game early on Thursday, but they were hoping by Saturday. That did not end up being the case. It is his right wrist that is injured. That is his shooting wrist. Uh, now, obviously, he provides a lot of energy and does a lot of things on the defensive end. You know, he's a slasher and does that. But when he's at his best for USC is when he can also step out and be a guy that, you know, with his feet set can knock down some three-pointers for you. And when your wrist is hurt, that's going to make that even more difficult. So I think it's more important to get him healed up. Um, and, now, and obviously you want his energy, you want his defensive presence against a, a team like Arizona. But he has been really, really good against Arizona. He went off last year at the McHale Center and had something like 20-something points for him in that game and helped them really win that game and kind of break that streak uh, of losses that they had had at the McHale Center. So, you know, at this time of year, I think it's more important to get him healthy and potentially maybe he misses the Arizona game, but if you can get him back for the UCLA game or even just getting him, you know, if he has to miss these last two regular season games, you've already locked up a top three seed. I think it's more important to be ready for the Pac-12 tournament and to have a chance to uh, to make some noise there and win a Pac-12 tournament for the first time in, in over a decade. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Look at the long term. I would completely uh, agree with that. John Donchig on Twitter asks, do you think the constant close contests are going to wear the team down headed into the postseason and the tournament, or is it just making them tougher? Well, that's an interesting kind of look at it. You know, I think the close contests just make you better um, because, you know, you know the intensity. It's much easier to have been in those type of games and then you get into one in the tournament and you're used to it than Gonzaga, not this year. The WCC is really good this year, but Gonzaga in some previous years – where they dominate the WCC, there's just no competition. And maybe some of the games they scheduled earlier in the year, some of those teams didn't work out, even though you know they, they try to schedule those blue bloods. They get in the postseason, you just don't have that true experience. So when you get in that close game, now you're, you know, you're fretting a little bit. You just you're, Your body speeds up when you don't have that experience. So I think anytime you can have the experience, it's a positive. Now, is it wearing down USC? I think you look at someone like Drew Peterson, 80 minutes the last two games, Watch for his legs on Tuesday against Arizona because, you know, that's a guy that, you know, he's getting a lot of usage. It's not like he's just standing in the corner. It's not like he's, you know, off the ball uh, in a 2-3 zone. He's a guy that's in the mix all the time. He's on the ball, an all-ball defender for USC against, you know, usually a lot of times one of the tougher uh, wing players for the other team. So that, those type of minutes can add up, especially in a short term, in a short period. But overall – I don't think USC is going to get to the NCAA tournament and just be, you know, be out of legs or anything. You know, they are still, you know, 18 to 22, 24 year olds now for Chavez Goodwin. Uh, happy birthday to him. Uh, but, you know, I think that it's just, it's the growing experience. It's better to be in those situations and, and have that experience than to tend to have fresher legs at the end of the season. Absolutely. I see how it could be both ways, but obviously when you, when you learn and play in tough, close games, you learn how to win those games, and that's what you need in the postseason in those tough tournaments. So you got to take that experience. And this team, you know, already went through a lot last year with their run. So they're a double experience team when you look at it like that. Yeah, and I asked Andy Infield about that after the game on uh, Saturday, you know, getting back-to-back really tight wins. Obviously, you shouldn't be going to double overtime with Oregon State, but those places have been a house of horrors for USC. Uh, they had won three of 12 at Gill Coliseum, the last 12 that they had played there. They had only won one of 10 at Matthew Knight Arena in Oregon. So to go in and find a way to win says a lot about the culture and the character of this group. And when I asked Enfield about it, he said, 
this team knows how to win. And, you know, they've won a ton in the last couple of games. You know, they've won 72 games in the last three years. That's Ethan Anderson, Max Agamapolo, and Isaiah Mobley. Those three guys have been along for the entire thing. Obviously, last year's group going 25-8. and eight, And you build that culture. You build the culture of, of those stepping stones, of knowing how to. Because I remember this exact team, Andy Enfield's first few years, him putting the ball in Jordan McLaughlin's hand late in a game, and Jordan McLaughlin not being able to, you know, find that game winner or passing the ball, just not getting that shot off, those things, just that execution at the end of the games, finding a way not to win. And then by the time he was a senior, they had started, you know, he had had that experience. He'd had the ball in his hands multiple times over multiple years. So when it came to that end of game experience, he was able to make some of those big plays for USC, passing it out to Elijah Stewart. They get the win. I think it was against SMU where he hits the big three in the corner in the final 20 seconds or so in the NCAA tournament. That was because they had experience going on. And that's what he said about this group. He said they know how to win because they've been in these situations in the past. So I think that's different from what we saw when Andy Enfield took over at USC. Reclaiming my time off Twitter, ask you, Shotgun, who were the first through third options off USC's bench that will improve team defense and athleticism? Such players will be crucial in a round of 16 NCAA tournament game matchup. Well, it depends on their starting lineup because, they, you know, they've switched in Max Agbapolo and Ethan Anderson, Isaiah White sent some time up there. Um, if, if Max Agbapolo is not in the starting lineup, he's definitely, uh, you know, one of those three. Kobe Johnson has been terrific recently. I think he's only going to get more minutes. He had five steals against Oregon State. He had another two uh, against Oregon, and that's in limited action. I think he's playing 20 minutes or so total in those two games, and he gets seven steals. For a freshman, he knows what his job is. Come in, play defense, and do really, you know, be that type of guy. Be a stopper on that end. Cause some havoc. You know, he can go for steals. He can get a couple fouls. It doesn't matter. He's not going to be playing late in the game. So he knows what his role is. And that's the thing. USC, I think, is still is figuring out what their roles are. And I think they've started to finally hit their mark and know exactly what everyone's supposed to be doing. And the coach is still figuring out the rotations. I think that was a struggle because they've never been this deep. So trying to figure out, okay, can I get Kobe Johnson in the game when he's probably the ninth guy off the bench? Uh, you know, can I get uh, Reese Dixon Waters? When do I put him in? How much do I play? Isaiah White, where does he fit in after he had started so much last year? So you look at Isaiah White, he's going to bring energy and defense coming off the bench. Reese Dixon Waters does that and can shoot the ball. Kobe Johnson. And if you're looking for a big man, Josh, Joshua Morgan is the first guy off the bench uh, for the, the forwards. And he's a guy that comes in to play defense that primarily that's his role. And you saw last play of the game against Oregon plays great defense, stays up tall, doesn't foul, doesn't reach over, create that, especially a lot of the whistles that be going towards the ducks. You know, he could have easily been called for a foul if he doesn't defend that as well as he did. He goes straight up and forces a very tough shot. And Will Richardson, just it was an off night for him, and USC was able to get that win. I thought that foul was coming. I thought <laughs> that foul was coming. Just on the road, close game, opposing stadium. I thought it was coming, but great. That's, that's a referendum for USC fans because that place was electric. I, I've uh, chatted with some of the, the players, some of the assistant coaches uh, with Indian Field. All of them have said the atmosphere was incredible there. Now, their student section was right on top of USC. They were nasty. You know, there were a lot of swearing going on, I was told. But, you know, there were a lot, they were just into it, and they were attacking. And what happens? USC misses the front end of two one-on-ones when they've been really good in the last, you know, three weeks or so in late in game shooting free throws. They miss the front end of two one-on-ones. Isaiah Mobley misses the first one before he collects himself, knocks down the other two. But also, 
the referees get swayed. You know, when there's 10,000 fans there and, you know, they're on top of the players and they're yelling at every referee call, suddenly calls start going towards the home team's way often. And it's not just a Pac-12 referee situation. That's all across the country, even though Pac-12 refs do make some bad calls, some very bad calls at times. But, you know, if USC creates that home court environment consistently, USC is the team that would start getting those type of calls, you know, and you would expect late in the game there. And I, I saw the message, uh, the message board, the, the game thread, because uh, I go back and check after I finish my writing, I, I th- try to throw my story into the game thread at the end. And then I check and see what what's going on during the game thread, which is always kind of crazy who all who all they want to bench. I think literally they tried to bench every single player on the team uh, in, in that game thread, which was 12 pages oh, so long normal, or something. A normal game thread. True, true. You know, not from basketball. They don't always try to bench everyone. But this game, it seemed like at different point in time throughout throughout the game, they were trying to bench every single player. But that was one of the things leading up to that final play. Like, oh, there's going to be a foul. They're going to call a foul here. There's definitely going to be a foul. Just like you, Chris, were thinking that. A lot of a lot of USC fans were thinking that. But great defense by Joshua Morgan. Great defense first by Max Agbunt Polo crowding this line, the sideline, forcing him to drive. Kobe Johnson actually knocks the ball away. The play before that, when the ball goes out of bounds, Drew Peterson with a block after Ethan Anderson gets drove by. So great team defense. You had four different guys step up on that final possession to play really good defense. And that's the thing. You got to have everybody on the court playing good defense to, to be a really good defensive team. USC di- didn't play great defense at, at Oregon State, and that's when that game was close. Played much better at Oregon, and you saw the result. Have a little bit of a recruiting question for you. Andy Miranda wants to know, how does our 2022-2023 recruiting classes look? And who do you think has been the best first-year player, freshman, or transfer this season for USC? The the best first-year player, if you want to throw Reese Dixon Waters in there, I would say him. But if you don't throw him in there, I, I think it's easily Boogie Ellis, you know, as a, a transfer from, from Memphis. I, I think Reese Dixon Waters has just taken this game so far up from last year where he was just, you know, a non factor and just trying to find his way that I would say he's it'd been more a bigger impact player than Boogie Ellis because you expected what you're getting from Boogie Ellis, maybe even a little bit more from Boogie Ellis, but he's been a really good lead guard. He's done a really good job of running the offense and whatnot. So I, I think that he's been, you know, really good for USC to the recruiting class. The 2022 class is signed and has been is a terrific class. You got Vince Uwachukwu, uh, who's coming in, is the five-star center, seven-footer, is going to be a dynamic pairing with Kajani Wright, six-foot-nine, more of an athletic. This is kind of a – this is a, not a great comparison, but it's kind of a, a, an Onyeka Okongwu and Evan Mobley, if you ever saw some of those clips from them playing with the Compton Magic – where a Kongu is a you know a thicker body guy, just the strength that he has. Because Johnny Wright is more of a brute force down low, uh, still super athletic too. And you're seeing him develop after having basically two years off because of COVID and because of the restrictions and stuff in Southern California. And then Vince is going to come in and is is seven foot, but he's more athletic and you know he's a guy that can fly out to the perimeter, contest shots and stuff. He's going to be really good. He's a, he's a developmental guy too. He's probably not a one and done, which is great for USC fans that they'll see him grow over at least two seasons more than likely. And then the the two guards, they got Trey White and Isaiah Sellers. Sellers may be one of the most underrated guards in the country, and that's even coming from some of our 24-7 national analysts tell me that guy could be a star eventually. Um, He's a great shooter, and USC has struggled for their shooters to perform. You see Noah Bauman has gone to Georgia and, and shot pretty well over there. 
Max Agbapolo was terrific in the preseason and just has struggled to make shots. So you hope Ozias Sellers can come in and be a spot-up shooter. You're seeing Reese Dixon Waters do that a little bit for USC. So that's something you're looking for. And Trey White's more of a slasher, you know, a 6'6 guy on the wing that can get into the lane and do some different things. The 2023 class is still – it's a work in progress. And it's a you – know, USC recently brought in Isaiah Miranda, who's a seven-footer from Springfield, Massachusetts. He came in for an official visit. They're working on it. There's a number of prospects that they're in the mix for. There's a point guard from Arizona that they're trying to get in the mix with that, that's down Bo- – Kylan Boston, I believe is his name, who's down to his top eight or top five. USC is in the mix there. USC's in the mix for a number of high-end prospects. Now, can they close? And, you know, what they do in the NCAA tournament will help help decide that because those guys that are in that 2022 class right now looked at that elite eight run and said, Oh wow, USC and, you know, events coming from Texas. Now he's playing at a Southern California Academy. Now the Los Angeles area, but he started, he was at Texas. He was at Florida. Actually. Um, he's moved around a little bit to kind of those premier basketball programs to try to get some experience and playing time that he, that he wants on some of those elite teams. So, but he's a guy that, that was out of state and USC was able to recruit him a lot coming off that elite eight performance and off of the fact that they put three straight uh, first round picks. Yeah. We had several people ask about the 2023 class and some of the big targets in that class. I believe they also just recently hosted Mikey Williams, the oh, combo they- guard number 15 in the nation number three combo guard of the nation, five-star. A lot of five-stars USC has offered in, in the 2023 class. The offer sheet is not full, so you still there's still gonna, probably going to be some offers going out over the next couple, uh, couple of months in this, as we go into the offseason after the postseason. But, yeah, there's, there's some big five-stars uh, that USC has already offered, like you mentioned, Boswell, like I just said, Williams. So there's a lot of talent out there that, that they're looking at. And one of the intriguing things about that 2023 class, and talk about some of those names, Boswell Williams is from San Diego, even though he's playing in North Carolina right now. Boswell's from Arizona, the West Coast. And if you can keep that ta- those talented players, the uh, Southern California Academy, which I talked about, which has those ISLers, sellers, which has Vince, is loaded with talent as well. So they're recruiting that group. They're recruiting Sierra Canyon. They just offered a kid who's a 2025, I think, from Sierra Canyon that just recently transferred in. So Sierra Canyon continues to put up a, a, a ton of uh, a ton of talent there as well. So USC's they're in the mix for a lot of guys, you know. And you know that's the thing that USC did really well to get Jordan McLaughlin. Did really well to get Chimezi Metu and Benny Boatwright, um, and to find guys like DeAnthony Melton. They've done a great job of getting those big stars. But also finding the DeAnthony Melton, finding a Kobe Johnson, who I think is going to be a three or four year player for USC and going to be a contributor consistently uh, the, the next three years going forward. You know, finding Reese Dixon Waters, he's a top 50 guy, but he's not that top 10 guy that you're looking for. And those guys are going to be, you know, the 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 base of their offense going forward and then supplementing it really well with the transfer market. You know, finding Drew Peterson, finding Chavez Goodwin, those guys that have come in and, you know, Drew Peterson's become a star, but you also need guys like Chavez Goodwin, who's been such a consistent contributor for them first off the bench last year. And then this year, taking that big step forward to, to be a, you know, a, a, a guy that can flirt with a double double pretty consistently. Moving on, we're almost done with the Twitter questions. This one is sort of a big overarching question that's probably going to take you 90 minutes to answer but two people asked shotgun what is this team's ceiling in march and we also had another question like that in our peristyle question so three questions about your your thoughts on what the ceiling of this team is going into the postseason when they're playing elite competition 
they're an elite team. Uh, I mean, we've seen that, you know, but when they're playing bad competition, they're not a very good team. Well, in the NCAA tournament, you're going to play good teams every every single game. So I think that lends its hand to USC. They'll be up for those games. They should be able to perform. They've shown they're pretty consistent, you know, that they're not going to get run out of the gym when they play a good team, as you've seen against Arizona, UCLA. Even the Oregon game where they got blown, they were down 19-3 early, ended up being a 10-point game. So, and that's their worst loss of the season. The ceiling is a Final Four team. I think it is still that. Now, has it come together as well as I thought it would this season? I don't think so, and I think that's the playing to your competition. Unfortunately, we haven't got to see in the non-conference schedule. We didn't get to see them at Oklahoma State. Georgia Tech ended up not being that good. They didn't get to play against Georgetown, and Georgetown ended up being terrible in that the Thanksgiving tournament, and there weren't the elite teams on the schedule like they were supposed to be with Kansas, you know, when that was scheduled last last year's schedule going in was supposed to have Kansas and Gonzaga on it. Hey, maybe you get those in some kind of a return trip. That would tell you a lot more about this team. But I think the ceiling is still Final Four, and it will depend on the matchups that they get in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they do really well against tall teams. You know, they are one of the tallest teams in the nation, but Stanford is also one of the tallest. Arizona is one of the tallest. And they struggle with those. Chavez Goodwin doesn't do really well against seven footers. He's a guy that if you get him against another guy at six nine, he's going to consistently be able to put those baby hooks up over anybody. But really strong guys or guys that are seven foot, he has a little bit more trouble, and you kind of lose him in, in the process there. And some other guys have to step up. But that's the unique thing about this team is that you know Chavez Goodwin is not having a great game. Well, Drew Peterson might go off. If Drew Peterson's not going off. Well, Boogie Ellis might go off. You know, there's five guys on this team that can go off for 15 points for you pretty consistently, and you wouldn't be really surprised by it. And then sometimes you get the surprise contributions. Reese Dixon Waters is really showing out recently. He had back-to-back double-figure games, I think, on their road trip. Max Agbon Polo had 15, I believe, uh, the other night as well. Ethan Henderson has been playing pretty well, uh, you know, as well, and just controlling the offense and moving things around. And we've seen in the past, Isaiah White can go off for 20. You know, he can make some threes. So there are multiple guys on this team that can go off for USC. And I think that's what makes them dangerous going in the NCAA tournament. But it's going to be about matchups and, and how the, who they end up getting. Remember last year, they did absolutely wipe out Kansas. They absolutely wiped out Kansas. But they also got Drake after they had played in the first four game. So that helps. A little bit more tired. You know, less time to prepare for an opponent. They got Oregon for a third time. Obviously, they, they knew how, what to do with Oregon, they had, or they got them for a second time, blew them out in the regular season, blew them out again in the NCAA tournament. But that was, a, I think, a seven seed. So they avoided the two seed. Um, I don't remember who it was off the top of my head in that bracket. But if, it, if the bracket plays out for them and they avoid a higher seed because there's an upset, that always helps. So, you know, it, if somehow Gonzaga would have gotten knocked off, where well, USC is now playing an eight seed in that game that they, they lost in, it could be completely different. And, you know, they, they could be, could have been in the final four last year. Or if they would actually just played well the first 10 minutes of the game, then they might have had a chance against Gonzaga. It would have been a much similar game to the UCLA game. Uh, but but that's, the, that's the fun of the NCAA tournament. You know, no one remembers if George Mason, you know, when they make that miraculous run, if they played a six seed or if they played a one seed, they just remember George Mason made it to the final four. So I think the ceiling is USC can make it to the final four. And then in the final four, you're, you're not going to get any cupcakes. So you're either going to get somebody who's hot as hell and they've made a run like George Mason or the VCU team or something, or you're just going to get a stacked number one or number two seed. So USC will have his work cut out to, to make it that far. But if they get that far, then, you know, you really have to play up your level one. Maybe USC is the team that's hot as hell. 
Couple points. Number one, Baby Hook remains the greatest shot in basketball. Number two, don't feel bad, Chavez Goodwin. I also struggle against seven footers, but I handle those six foot nine guys just fine. And we talked about the ceiling, but shotgun, what do you feel is the expectation for this team for you? Because that is a different question. They sound similar, but they're different. For me personally, I feel like the expectation is to at least make that second weekend of the tournament, get to that sweet 16. That that feels like the floor for this team at this point. Exactly. With the returners that they had, adding Boogie Ellis, the steps that, you know, Restakes and Waters, Chavez Goodwin, those guys in their, the, the bump in their game, you would expect USC to make a Sweet 16 coming into the season. That would be the expectation. So I think, you know, the potential, and we'll see where they land after the next two weeks as far as, you know, playing Arizona on Tuesday, playing UCLA on Saturday, and then the Pac-12 tournament, they lose – lose to UCLA, lose to Arizona badly, and get knocked out in their first game of the Pac-12 tournament, well, they could slide in their seeding. But right now, they're probably at a five or six seed, and you know they have a great opportunity if they're a five or six seed to make it to a Sweet 16. You know, you get two two matchups against uh, against teams that you should be able to to beat, you know, a 5-12 matchup, which always is a dangerous one. But then, you know, after that, you should be able to, I think it's the the five twelve plays the the four thirteen, so USC you know should be able to contend in that. It'll be you know just as good as any four seed that they play as well. So if they're a five seed, four seed, you know something there, then yeah, they definitely should be able to make it to the Sweet Sixteen. That would be my expectation. If they slide a little bit, if they fall to a seven seed somehow, that makes it that much more tougher. But my expectation right now is Sweet Sixteen at least. Don't forget to contribute to the GoFundMe to send Shotgun to the NCAA tournament this year. I will be at the NCAA tournament. You know, I will be all around. Uh, there, there's some possibilities that the NCAA tournament will actually be closer to me. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't specify. It's the GoFundMe to put in a fund that he can buy me merchandise. That's oh, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. That's, that's what I meant. The GoFundMe is Ryan's <laughs> bank account. That's the real GoFundMe. But this one's for me separately for merch. Yeah, my bad, my bad. I just wanted to clarify that. That is all our Twitter questions. We have a good lot in our Peristyle thread that you started last night, and no one is reading at 6 a.m. in the morning Pacific Standard Time or whatever. So we're going to try to run through these a little bit quicker, which only means Shotgun does a 30-minute answer, a 15-minute answer <laughs> instead of a 30-minute answer. We're going to sit, and then but you're going to have your time to talk about Andy Enfield, his contract, and the dreaded Maryland Terrapins, because everyone wants to know about that. USC and MD, what a great start. Shotgun, why are the guards reluctant to push tempo to create fast break opportunities? Yeah, this is something that I wish that USC would do more of, but I think the biggest thing is trust. You, Andy Enfield doesn't trust his guards and really hasn't trusted his guards to be consistently doing that since he had the two-point guard system of Jordan McLaughlin and Julian Jacobs. That was a team that pushed the tempo because either one of those guys uh, could get the ball and, and press the issue. Because of that, I think he feels more comfortable. And because they play through their bigs so much that they would rather walk the ball up, let's find Isaiah Mobley, let's find Chavez Goodwin, let's go through them, or try to create with Drew Peterson off the bounce for someone else, rather than let's try to get out in, in uh, open court and try to make some plays because you've seen way too often just poor decision-making or fumbling the ball when you're going to it. I mean, the Max Agbon polo against UCLA – uh, when he when he fumbles the ball and the one he does make, I, I think everyone 
held their breath really tight. <gasps> oh no. Uh, after he had, you know, gotten called for the technical on the dunk. So I think because of that, they're just reluctant to push because they don't trust them out in the open court and they want to try to limit those turnovers rather than trying to, to make it a faster pace game. Just want to go on record and say, I trust you shotgun. Well, thank you. I trust you. Just want to throw that out there. USC Dean 03 wants to know, will assistant coach Eric Mobley return if Isaiah goes pro? He's, he didn't come to USC just to coach his sons. You know, it's not like he's just standing there to be a dad. He is a coach and, you know, is a, a guy that has really helped Chavez Goodwin take his game to, a, to another level. The big men, I, I think, have really improved under Eric Mobley. So he, it's not like He's a he was a factory worker that never played basketball and just really has two really talented sons. He's a former NBA player himself. He was a first round draft pick. So he knows what the hell he's talking about when it comes to post moves and stuff as well. So he can he goes to Cleveland and how he's picking the brains of the Cleveland staff. And I'm sure he's talked to Lindsay Gottlieb from her coming from Cleveland. So, you know, I'm sure that he's gaining more knowledge as he's going. But I think he's definitely a, a coach that is making his mark on USC at the same time. And I saw that a lot more during the preseason. I thought it was really, really cool to be able to see their preseason practices and see the way the different coaches, they attacked each practice. You know, Chris Capco is, is much uh, a much louder guy and is a guy that was running more segments of practice. Jay Morris, when he had an opportunity, he would get out there and he'd run certain sections of it, but he's a little bit quieter guy until the games. In the games, he is, you know, is very adamant on the bench and, you know, especially when it's his scout. But Eric Mobley is a one-on-one guy. He would call, he would pull a big over and talk to them basically in their ear versus, you know, stopping practice and, and pointing things out in, in the same regard that some of the other assistants do. So I thought it was really interesting to just kind of see those different dynamics. And I really like what Eric Mobley has done for the big man at USC since he's arrived. Crown City, who returns next season from the players that are draft eligible with remaining college eligibility? Well, in college basketball, everyone's draft eligible. So they will all have an eye. Well, if we were on the team and we had any eligibility, we would be draft eligible. The The only players that USC is definite to lose, Chavez Goodwin is going to be out of uh, eligibility, as will Isaiah White. Chavez Goodwin has played in 167 basketball games. So, yeah, it's going to be time for him to move on to, to a professional career, probably overseas. The same thing with, with Isaiah White. He'll be moving on. The rest of it is open-ended. Everyone could come back. Everyone will have eligibility remaining. Obviously, USC is bringing in four freshmen, so that usually lends to four guys uh, hitting the exit. So who will that be? I assume it would be Isaiah Mobley and Drew Peterson. I think both those guys are probably going to leave and go go forward. And I know there's some discussion in the game thread on Saturday about you know both of their futures and whether they should go pro. But what is Isaiah Mobley going to have left to prove? What is Drew Peterson, you know, what is it, where is his stock going to be at? You, you have to look at where these guys can develop their game differently for the NBA level or for the professional level. And I don't know that there's a, you know, a big area of improvement that you'd be like, okay, if they just get better here, their stock really rises. I think Isaiah Mobley, by extending his range from last season at the end of last year and becoming a consistent three-point shooter, I think that really helped his stock. I think the fact that he's shown he can facilitate – and be a, a, a guy that can pass out of double teams, that's helped his stock. Um, he's not as athletic as his brother, obviously, and that's going to be one of the questions when he gets to the next level, who can he guard uh, at, at the four position, which is probably where he'll play. But I think that he's a guy that, that should get an opportunity. He'll at least be on a mini mini camp roster and whatnot. And Drew Peterson, 
a lot of pro scouts are really intrigued by him. Six foot nine. When he takes the when he puts the effort in on the defensive end, he can guard pretty much anyone on the floor. And if he just cuts down on his turnovers, where he jumps up in the air and kind of just doesn't have anywhere to go, that thought, the the decision making there that's the one thing that the scouts still want to see improve a little bit. But I don't know how much you can actually improve, show improvement on that in one season that's going to make your stock take off. So I think he's probably a guy that, that will be out after the season as well. He is a senior, though he does have one extra year of eligibility, so he could come back. But uh, everyone else is, is still has years of eligibility remaining as well. Uh, just a follow-up on this because it relates. Silent Commit wants to know, do you think Mobley or Peterson make an NBA roster next year? Yeah, I think both could. I think that, you know, both will do get – you think? But I think both will get opportunities to. And I'm going to put the, – the fact the way that both of those guys have improved over their career year over year, I think another offseason, I think that they take another step forward and they find their way onto a roster. Luna 1990 – wants to know, do you see us getting any transfers this offseason? Yeah, I think USC will be active. They have been very specific with what they want. They want guys that fit in, so they're not going after the big names every single time. They've been in the mix for some of the big names, Boogie Ellis being one of them. Uh, but I think they're going to be, you know, to depend on the attrition that they get off this roster. Boogie Ellis could be gone after this year as well. You know, he could be a guy that decides that he wants to, you know, go and go ahead and start his professional career. And, you know, if that's the case, you got to get another league guard. Who sticks around from those older guys? Is Max Agbont Polo or Ethan Anderson? Do they see a role for themselves on this team? Or do they want to go somewhere else and, you know, be a guy that gets more shots and gets more opportunities on the offensive end? Those are all possibilities. You know, depending on the attrition USC sees off the, the roster, that will depend on how many transfers they go after, but they will be active and they'll be looking. They'll have a, you know, they'll, they'll find space for at least one guy and then we'll see, you know, what kind of guys they go after in that mix. This is two separate questions that I'm kind of scrunching into two super Trojan five wants to know why does USC not schedule a tough out of conference schedule? And then Trojan lights wants to know, are there plans for USC to beef up its 2022, 2023 and future out of conference schedules with greater percentage of ranked and blue blood teams? So kind of the same thing there that they're, they're talking about. Yeah. The fans want to see it. You know, fans want to come and see Kansas play in the Galen center. It's happened before, you know, Kansas has come to the Galen center, Tennessee's come, Georgia came before, you know, some of these out of, out of area teams have come and fans want to see that Texas A&M, but that hasn't been the prerogative of the coaching staff. Outside of the 2020 schedule, now that Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna, they arrive on, they kind of push for you know a little bit tougher schedule, and you see Kansas gets added. It's going to be a home-and-home. Home. You know, Gonzaga, USC is going to play them up in Portland. Really fun schedule for fans. But then, obviously, the pandemic ruins that all that fun. They end up kind of putting together the schedule as they go a little bit there. Uh, and then this season, they just didn't challenge themselves enough. I would like to have seen at least one blue blood. You know, if, if they could have switched and taken that Villanova game from, from UCLA, challenge yourself early in the season, see where you're at, and see where you need to make improvements. Uh, I think that would have be, been really fun for the fans. And I thought when they played Villanova, you know, in the in an exhibition, I thought it was, a, you know, a good atmosphere for, for an exhibition. But if you want to build and become a – you know, get the fan support that consistently you get, five to 10,000 people in the arena, but you got to uh, schedule some of those marquee games as well. And it can't always be, 
you know, playing in the Staples Center because they played they played Trey Young in Oklahoma in the Staples Center. They played LSU in the Staples Center. But get some of those games on campus. Get the home and homes going. Uh, I would love to see it, but it just hasn't been the prerogative of the current staff and the the current coaching staff because I think it shows that when you have one game left to reschedule after the cancellation of the Oklahoma State game and you decide to throw Pacific in the mix. And that was just a terrible game to watch. They didn't play very well in that game. No one wanted to be up for that game. But what does it do? Well, it boosts the win total. And now you can say, hey, after that Oregon game, you can say, hey, they've got the most wins in school history in regular season, 25-4. and That's what some of those games do. But I would love to see, rather than a 25-4 and record, I'd rather see a 23-6 and record with four other games that are really challenging in there and you win two and you lose two and you find out more about your team and where you have to make improvements before you get to the NCAA tournament. But, hey, it worked for them last year, and we'll see if it works for them this year with the with the soft scheduling they've had. Producer's note, sorry if you're a Pacific alum or fan and you're listening to this, just catching strays. In- it doesn't matter. That was a terrible game to schedule. Pacific is a terrible team this season. Now, they've had some prospects in the past. Michael Olokondi. Who's the number one overall pick from Pacific? They should never want to Great. I'm going to get some pick. emails and DMs about this. Thanks. That's, that's fine. I look, I look forward to that. David Law, and I had another. we had another question about this. What is Coach Andy Enfield's love for Ethan Anderson? His plus minus numbers are horrific. Someone else asked about why does he continue to play Anderson given the minutes he has, and they think some of those minutes should go to Kobe Johnson. Well, if you want to talk about plus minus, since that was brought up, Ethan Anderson's plus minus on the season is plus 104. Kobe Johnson's plus minus on the season is negative 11. And he's the only player on USC's roster that's in the negative numbers. Now, you got to look at rotations. There's a lot more that goes into that. And I think Kobe Johnson has found his role and is playing it really well. He's only played 163 total minutes. Ethan Anderson's played 600. So there's a big difference there. But, you know, outside of the, the, the trio of, Isaiah Mobley, Drew Peterson, and Boogie Ellis, who are all a plus minus over 200. The rest of the team is pretty much in between 100 and 150. You know, that's everyone from Ethan Anderson, Reese Dixon Waters to Chavez Goodwin. So plus minus, and that's kind of a, it's a difficult stat. It doesn't tell you the whole thing. I think in certain games, it tells you, hey, when this guy's on the court, they were playing really well. But overall, you know, the the higher the number is, and you definitely could say, you know, Evan Mobley last year, his plus minus number is so much better than anybody else's. That shows you, hey, he's the, the big difference maker. But, you know, Ethan Anderson is the floor general for them. He's the guy that runs the offense. He's supposed to be out there to keep things in order, to keep them from getting in a frantic pace. And he's a great on-ball defender. And besides when he's supposed to foul at the end of the Oregon State regulation and decides not to. Um, but, you know, he's a great on-ball defender for them, and they trust him to defend, you know, any of the point guards that they're taking on, the Terrell Browns and stuff from, from Washington, those type of guys. He That's one of the reasons why he's in there. If you play defense, you're going to be on the court a lot more uh, for, for Andy Enfield, and that's been the case with, with Ethan Anderson as well. Another personnel question from Jeeb. I like a lot what Max brings to the team, assuming that's Max Ogbongpolo. He's probably the best defender we have. Okay, confirmed that is Max Ogbongpolo. Why is he <laughs> Why is he this 25% three-point shooter launching 45% of his shots from behind the arc and practically shoots more threes per minute play than anyone on the team? Because he came into the season as their 3 and D guy. You know, he in the preseason, he was electric from outside. He was knocking down shots left, right. You know, he led them, I think, 
He led them in scoring for one of their closed-door exhibitions that they had against a, another team. He led them in scoring in one of those, and then he was one of their top scorers in another one because he knocks down a three-pointer. But in the season, it just has not translated. And, you know, it's it's a little bit sad to see for me because you know the potential of players, and when they can't live up to their potential, it's kind of hard to watch them because Max is a great guy. He's, he's so much fun to be around. He always has a big smile on his face at, at practice and stuff. I think he's seeing that he has to slash more and he's been more active attacking the basket and pulling up in, in the middle of the paint because he can shoot over anybody. And I think he's decided, hey, the three-pointer's not falling. He's been pretty consistent with that. Now, yeah, I, I think he's he's only shooting open threes. He's knocked down a couple of big ones uh, recently. So hopefully if he starts shooting and shooting with confidence, so if he starts shooting better as the season progresses, he could be a huge huge weapon and difference maker in an NCAA tournament run because if he catches fire, he's already playing great defense for you and you can keep him on the court longer. He's making free throws at the end of the games for the most part. So he could become a dynamic weapon for them, maybe in a similar vein that Isaiah Mobley did last year where he struggled shooting three-pointers during the season, didn't really make many. And then postseason, when he hit the Pac-12 tournament, he, he shot like 45, 50%. And that was a, a big difference maker for USC. That's what the hope is with that Max Agabon Polo. Combine that with his slashing, his ability to attack on the rim and stuff. Uh, you want to be a 3 and D guy. You want to be a slash and, and grab type of guy that can grab some offensive rebounds for you. The three-pointer is the, the biggest weapon for him. And so it's kind of disappointing that he hasn't been able to shoot a little bit better from three-point range. All right, we're wrapping, we're ending we're wrapping up. We're coming to the end of our Parasol questions, which is going to end with the big Andy Enfield contract, Maryland job. That's going to be our, our kicker here. Let Shotgun just take an hour to talk about that. We have a couple more little questions. Shotgun, if you can just knock these out real quick. Plum4 wants to know, has a, several questions, but why do you think USC has played down to the level of inferior opponents? And what do you think Enfield's biggest strength is as a coach? Andy Enfield's greatest strength, I think, is, is tactical, actually. You know, he draws up some really good plays, and that's what makes it difficult for younger guys to get on the floor is that USC has a lot of different offensive sets, and it can be difficult for processing speed, which is why a guy like Malik Thomas, maybe he can go out there and, and can score some immediate buckets for you, but the processing of all the different plays and stuff, sometimes it slows him down a little bit. I think you saw that with Reese Dixon Waters last year. Took him some time. So I think Malik Thomas is a guy that will be a weapon next year for you. And then the middle one was, again. Why do you think this team plays down to inferior opponents? That's that's a great question. Um, and the fact that they won't face any inferior opponents outside of maybe the first game of the Pac-12 tournament again, I think is great for USC because they just – it, the intensity hasn't been there, and that's why I was kind of pushing for Isaiah White to be in the starting lineup because he brings intensity at all times, no matter what. I, I think it's just the kind of the nature of the players that are on the team. They don't have that killer instinct against inferior opponents, and they kind of kind of ho hum their way through and realize, okay, now we got to turn it on. And luckily for them, they have been able to turn it on uh, throughout the season and not suffer any bad losses to the Oregon States or the Pacifics of the world. Pacific, just taking shots here. SC Grad 96 uh, has a couple questions. He wanted to ask about the unusual interaction with the Oregon crowd, um, but I feel like we you already talked about that, just sort of what was said and done by the crowd that got them so riled up. I feel like we already addressed that, but if you want to add it. You're there, not Evan. You're not Evan. 
You're not Evan. That's directed at you, Chris. Yeah. He also does you're not Keely at me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was it's hurtful. It's hurtful. So that was hurt. that was one of the things that was being uh chanted at, at Isaiah Mobley, because obviously he's not his brother Evan Mobley. Um, obviously. Obviously. Two different people. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's one of the things that's being chanted at him. I, like I said, there was some uh, swearing and stuff. There were some things that were some light objects that were tossed at them as they were leaving, like towels and stuff. So there wasn't any, like, Tennessee football mustard bottles being thrown or anything at USC's players. But, yeah, USC's players were definitely waving bye-bye, bye-bye as they were exiting the floor. Um, they were getting a lot of single-finger salutes from the from the Oregon student section as well as they exited so it was it was a harsh environment, but that's great. Everyone loved it. They all every, all the USC people I've talked about weren't like, oh man, this was bad for basketball. This is just not good. No, they were like, oh, it was, it was electric. We loved it. The atmosphere was terrific. You know, they're right on top of us. They were you know yelling constantly. And USC plays better when they have that type of intensity in a game. So you saw them played one of their cleaner games as far as you know being able to make shots and do all that type of stuff because they were locked in, focused with the student section right on top of them. The second question was, is a fun one. If USC is to win out the regular season and the Pac-12 tournament, what is the highest seeding you think is possible? Ooh, that's a good question. That's, that's a lot of big wins. Yeah, because you would beat Arizona, you beat UCLA, possibly beat them both again in the Pac-12 tournament. And win the Pac-12 tournament. So Yeah, and have the conference title. So potentially, a, I would say a two seed. I think two yeah. seeds probably the – the ceiling for them on that. And that would be a heck of a run and be great momentum for them going into the NCAA tournament, knowing what they are capable of. Um, so yeah, two seed, if USC gets up to a two seed, you know, I think that makes your path that much easier. You know, the potential of not facing a one seed until the regional final, you know, not facing a team that's ranked high or seated higher than you until the regional final. So would be a heck of a run and we'll see USC again. I don't think they've won it. I think the last PAC 12 tournament, Victory was DeMar DeRozan. ADWN Pinoy wants to know, is this team properly ranked? If not, should it be higher or lower? Again, that comes back to resume, and USC doesn't have a lot of resume wins on there. You know, when you beat San Diego State, that's a quality win. No one's looking at it. Oh, my God, they beat San Diego State. Did you see the USC beat San Diego State? That's not – it's not playing out that way. Um, when you beat Dixie State, and you beat UC Irvine or Long Beach State – some of those are okay wins, but no one's looking at it like, oh, man, did you see they beat Kansas? Did you see they beat Kentucky? Those those wins aren't on USC's resume, so that's why they're ranked as low as they are. And I said the AP polls are struggling with it. You, that, two weeks ago, they were ranked everywhere from, I think it was 10 to 25, every single spot except for, 23, except for 23rd. So that just shows you the discrepancy is they just don't really understand where to rank them. Some people say, oh, well, you look at the records. Some people say you look at the resume. It's not there. So that's why there's so much discrepancy there. And I, I think it's more than just like disrespect. I think it's, you know, people are looking at that resume and going, eh, there's not too much there. That's what people say when I turn in my resume as well. So don't, don't feel <laughs> bad about it. They're like, that's it. But, but you can add some quality wins against Arizona and UCLA, Chris. Just, just do that and your resume will look a little bit better. Look, I spent five years at Jamba Juice. It's not that great. It's the Pacific of uh, basketball wins. Uh, okay, it's time. Lots of questions about Andy Enfield and Brendan Sosna. A lot of questions about Andy Enfield's contract. A lot of situations if Andy Enfield leaves, who would USC go after? Obviously, Maryland. 
So let's just dive into that. Um, the first big one that comes up is, will Mike Bone give Andy Enfield a real extension with a new contract with the Rays instead of just the reported extension, which was just Bone giving him an extra year with some additional and him getting an additional year of meeting incentives, but a new contract. That was a very weird question. But do you believe Coach Enfield deserves a new contract? And how? And someone asked, how do you think it will play out, the contract situation? I do believe he deserves a new contract, uh, especially if you look at where USC was at when he took over. Just absolutely in the doldrums, a team that was the very bottom in the Pac-12, struggled. I was at the game that was, I think, 32 to 26 against Cal Poly. It was just very bad basketball. There, this team is much more. There is an exciting team. Um, they've been able to sell out some games. You know, they're going to have a sellout, I believe, on Tuesday, and the whiteout, and you know, hopefully, all the fans go out and should be an electric atmosphere. It should be really fun. And then the same thing on Saturday at Poly Pavilion. I think he deserves a contract extension for what he has done at USC and what he has done for turning this program around. What is the ceiling for this program under Andy Infield? That is the question then if you're the athletic director, especially when you are the athletic director who did not hire a coach, you start looking at, okay, I've seen where this program is. What is the potential of it? Now, does Mike Bone, Brandon Sazna, does that brain trust look at it and go, we could be even better. And if we just get this right coach and somebody who's different and does this thing a little bit differently, we could be even that much better and we could become a power in this, this sport as well. Maybe that's the way they look at it. I don't know. But I think that you reward the people that, that help you get to where you, you make it. Um, and USC's basketball program would not be where it's at if it wasn't for Andy Enfield. So I think he should be rewarded with a new contract. We reported that, you know, he got the contract extension. It took a lot of, you know, back and forth trying to get that confirmed. Um, and then we're to find out actually afterwards even a little bit more about it. And it was more of a, he got an extension, but it was something where it kind of kicked in with some, some contract incentives that were in there that helped kick it in is what I was told. So does he get a true contract extension where you add more years, you add more money to it, you add more money for whatever it may be, whether it be assistant coach pool, do you promise some more upgrades? Do you promise to update the graphics in Galen Center? Can we get that done? Come on. That seems like that should be an easy win there. Let's update the graphics. Let's update the Sports Illustrated covers, you know, all that type of stuff, the All-Americans, all that stuff. Put those in, in the Galen Center so that people, you know, when recruits come, they can be like, oh, I see what you guys have done recently too. Maybe maybe even do a wall that says the Andy Infield era and talk about that. I don't know. Get that figured out, all those type things. But those are all the things that are going to go in, into that this the discussion because there are other suitors. Maryland being the biggest one and Andy Enfield's name. If Maryland decides to hire Danny Manning or whatever, they decide to go in a different direction. Andy Enfield's name will come up again in the off season for open jobs. If there is not a contract extension. So it's going to want to go to go one way or the other where his name's going to be in the news because USC gives them a contract extension. They're done with it. Or that, you know, that other teams are reaching out and trying to, to poach him away. So, you know, I, I think that, Hopefully we see a resolution, and for me, I think Andy Enfield deserves a, a job, and I know there's a lot of discussion about this back and forth after an Oregon State game and then after an Oregon game, and the, the opinions can be much different after one of those two games. You know, In my opinion, I think that he has earned a contract extension. Now, what is he asking for? What is it? I, I think uh, that, that's a, 
unknown to us, but also I think that he loves Southern California. His family loves Southern California. So I think he would like to stay if possible, but he wants to see, you know, he wants to be supported from the administration above him. There are rumors that NFL is interested in the greatest job in the world, the Maryland job. He got his MBA there. Who would USC look to if he was hired away and did, and did leave? If you guys were, were with us during the Clay Helton should be fired era, that's not my prerogative it to speculate on who should be a coach when you, you still have a coach in, in, uh, in hand. So I'm not going to jump on that. Just from the track record of Mike Bone, Brandon Sosna, and that group, they will go after the top names and then work their way down. Obviously, you see with the Lincoln Riley hire, you know, they went and got to, you know, the, one of the top names, top three names in college football. So I think that would be their process. Similar with Lindsey Gottlieb. They went out and got a really big name there. You know, we'll see where that program can go as well. Someone asked, what is the legit inside scoop on the relationship between Enfield and Bosna? Which I assume is a combination of Sazna and Bo. Nice, Sazna. Yes, I, I approve. You know, the administration has supported USC, and you've seen that with the Elite Eight rings. You've seen that with the banner for the Elite Eight, different things like that. The only thing that hasn't been fully supported is a contract extension. So I feel like that the relationship is fine. It's not like it's a tumultuous relationship. I haven't heard any rumors like. Andy Enfield tried to strangle Mike Baum because of whatever, you know, there's no craziness like that going on. It's just, okay. I think I've approved myself. I think I deserve, you know, a contract extension or a con a raise or whatever it may be. And if you're not getting that, then, you know, that can be like, do they really respect me? Do they want me here type of things? But I don't think it's either way. It's not like, Mike Bone is not coming to basketball games and, you know, they're not tweeting and about the successes of the basketball team or anything like that and kind of trying to freeze them out. There's not, none of that going on. I think it's just a working relationship on the Andy Enfield side. It's okay. Do they respect me? Do they want me here as much as maybe someone else wants me to come to their program? And I think that's where the, you know, that's the big question there for, for that relationship. We're just going to cap it off. Do you have a prediction on how this is going to go down? No, I didn't. I mean, I didn't have a prediction that USC would end up with Lincoln Riley for football. So I'm not going to predict uh, anything on, on this one. They've been some outside the box, outside of expectations, I guess, type of hires for USC in the past. I'm not going to make any expectations on this one. I don't think. Yeah. Sorry guys. I try to get him. I try to get him. <laughs> he didn't want to do it. You know, I, I've talked with people around the program and they are, you know, th there are concerns like does the administration want us to be here? Does the administration, are, are we their choice? Because that's always the case. You know, new athletic director, if you're not hired by an athletic director, does he want to make his own stamp on a certain program or a certain thing? And obviously you've seen, you've seen that with the football program. Mike Bonus made his, his stamp um, on, on that program by getting Lincoln Riley. And if Lincoln Riley does the things we expect, you will see that. I think the same thing with Lindsey Gottlieb. They haven't had a great season this year, but they've got some young young girls on that team that I think are going to be really, really good. Rhea Marshall, uh, Jordan Jenkins on the women's basketball team. So, you know, I, I think that that hire will turn out being really good too. You're seeing men's volleyball is doing really well right now. So there's some, of, some of the hires they have made have, have turned out really successful and I think will be successful down the road. So we'll see how this one plays out. But Chris, I got to ask you, how do you feel about this as a Maryland alum 
And a USC reporter, how do you feel when your two schools, are the two schools that you one were covering and one went to, are involved in, in the rumor mill together? I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it when the worlds collide. You keep them on the different coast. That's why I put them there. I put one on the other side. I put one here. Keep them separated. I don't want any of it. My, my greatest fear is that they both meet in a Rose Bowl, USC football versus Maryland football. But Maryland football will never be as good to reach the <laughs> Rose Bowl. So I don't really have to worry about that until something drastic happens. So they haven't played each other in basketball, I don't think. There was a chance maybe, I think it was like a couple years ago, where they could have met in the NCAA tournament, but that never happened. That That is still a possibility, not this year, because Maryland is poopy. We're terrible. <laughs> Which is a terrible season. Which is why they fired their coach midseason. Well, he just sort of backed away from his like, I can't do this. It's a weird situation. The interim, Manning wants the job. My brother wants Sean Miller. He's wanted Sean Miller for years. I don't know what Sean Miller's doing right now. Nate Oates has been thrown out there. But can we afford him? We should be able to afford him because we have the Under Armour money. There's so many things. Maryland is, a, is what I consider a good job. It's a basketball school. It's got good, a good history. They just celebrated their 2002 national championship team. Final four of the year before that in 2001. Gary Williams really made that program up. It's got an incredible recruiting landscape with it in the, in the East Coast, the DMV, the Virginia, Maryland, Baltimore, D.C. A lot of great prospects come out of there. And then you can recruit the Southern uh, or the Eastern Seaboard there as well. It's, it's a good job. Has the Under Armour backing. So, I think it's a top 25 job. I would even say it's a top 15 job when it's at its peak or at its running point. So I don't know. I don't know if Andy Edfield would be the guy. I think I think it would be interesting to see what he would do in that situation because USC is clearly not a basketball school. I was watching the basketball game yesterday when they upset uh, Ohio State. I was talking with a, a friend of mine who went to Maryland and we were talking about Andy Edfield. And I was like, yeah, I'm just curious because – I go cover USC games and they're like ranked in the top 25 and the, the crowd doesn't match a top 25 team sometimes when they go there. Mm-hmm. But at Maryland, it gets rocking there. It is a basketball school. It is, it is jumping when Maryland is good. Even when they're bad, they're, they still come out. So imagine a top 12 Maryland team with like, a, if you put the USC team in Maryland shoes, put them in Maryland uniforms, that, 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 that atmosphere is going to be electric. So I always wonder what it would look like if, you know, he was doing what he was doing at Maryland in that kind of crowd and that kind of atmosphere at a school that is a basketball school. Yeah, true. Definitely. And that's a, an allure, I'm sure, for for any infield or any coaches. You know, if you're at a place and you've had success and you can't build the fan support that you think you deserve, do you look for somewhere where you know they're going to be rabid for positive and negative? If you're winning, they're going to be all behind you. If you're losing, they're going to be all on top of you. And, you know, that's the type of challenge that some coaches do look for, you know, when they've had success somewhere and, you know, just don't have the following that they think that they probably deserve. The The question with Maryland for me is, would you say that the Maryland job is better than the USC job? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I <laughs> I think from – a just on paper i would say yes just because maryland is a basketball school and i do think it has not saying california isn't a great recruiting landscape for basketball because it is but the dmv area prince george's county 
Kevin Durant is from Prince George's County. They're dudes that come out of the area. You have a lot of good basketball schools out here. WCAC produces a lot of really good top basketball talent. And you have the unarmor backing. You have a major backing, a major, you know, if you need the money, Kevin Plank, you, you can write that check, no problem. They upgraded their facilities recently. I would just say on paper, I would say the Maryland job is is better than USC. Just okay. because I feel like it has it is a basketball school, so that fits more. That's that's you're gonna get the better atmosphere at Maryland. Tougher conference uh, to consistently be good in. Yes. I don't think the recruiting grounds are as fertile as Southern California. You know, you mentioned Kevin Durant, but where did Kevin Durant go to college at? Did he go to Maryland? Uh, no. Oh, no, oh, yeah. No. But because everyone comes into the DMV and takes players away rather than be able to keep them home in the DMV. Gary wasn't a recruiter. Gary wasn't a recruiter. He was a developer. <laughs> you give him a three-star, he was going to be an all-ACC guard by the end. He didn't get the five stars. They never worked out. The egos never worked out. Why have you done this to me? I didn't want to get into this. He wasn't a recruiter. I believe Maryland's team was the first team to win the national championship without a McDonald's All-American in their starting lineup. Was that the the Juan Dixon team? Yes. So Juan Dixon wasn't up there. Oh, interesting. Was Stevie Franchise a McDonald's All-American? I believe he was. After that class, they got dudes. But they okay. didn't work out, so we had to go back to recruiting the gems, the young, the the, the hungry three stars, the scrappy three stars that he would turn into all ACC guards and okay. big men and stuff like that. So. <laughs> well, they do have a national championship much more recent than USC because USC does not have one in men's basketball, but USC basketball is on their their winningest clip in fifty years, basically. You know, USC is going to, we talked about the out-of-conference schedule and not really challenging themselves, but USC has proven themselves in the Pac-12. They're they're going to finish. They've locked up a top three seed in the Pac-12 tournament, so a top three finish is the third time in three years that USC has done it, fourth time in five years that USC will finish in the top three of the Pac-12. The last time they had had three consecutive years finishing in the top three was that 1975 team was the last one. They don't, they did actually eight years in a row then, but 50 years ago is basically the last time USC has been this good in basketball. And I think that definitely is a credit to Andy Enfield. Now the recruiting is a big part of it. Bringing in one and done talents, Kevin Porter, Anyeka Okongwu, Evan Mobley, obviously those help, uh, but you know, you got to put them together and you've seen the positives and the negatives, you know, the year with Kevin Porter was the, the one year out of those five where they did not finish in the top three and they were like eight or ninth in the, the league. So just things felt, did not go well to that season. They learned from their mistakes. I think as a coaching staff on how to piece together the roster with transfers and stuff. And I think you've seen the last couple of teams, you know, the focus that they have on defense is, is terrific. You know, they're one of the best defensive teams in the nation. They have consistently been that now for three years. So I, I think it's a, a program that, continues to set new marks and will only continue to be good as long as any infield and staff are here. Is there another coach that can take it higher? Maybe, but uh, you know, do you want to make, what's the risk reward on that? Um, and the potential of losing not only, you know, the momentum that you got built, but also the recruiting classes that you're building. And you know, we talked about all the five-star talent that they are in the mix for in the 2023 class and going forward. So they've obviously done a really good job. Um, and, you know, I think that that deserves to be, you know, rewarded. We'll see what turns out with that in the, the Mike Bone versus 
Andy Enfield or not versus, but the Mike Bone and Andy Enfield saga and the contract situation as it goes forward. And hopefully we'll try to, you know, break some more news and, and get some contract info and uh, be able to, to deliver that, that stuff to you guys as, as quickly as possible. And, and before anybody else, we like breaking news too, right? Bosna. 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 Got to throw that in there. Bosna. Oh, that's, that's a great ending point. You touched on a lot. I believe this is supposed to be 30 minutes. We went an hour on this segment. So, as mm. always. See? My bad, Chris. Just My that, bad. Just make that a sound part. <laughs> Whoopsie. Whoopsie. All right, Chris. Well, thanks so much for joining us and, and hopping on to talk a little USC Maryland basketball, as well as, as you know, coming on to ask the questions and, you know, filter all those, those uh, the different questions and combine them because we got a lot of those Andy Enfield, Maryland questions and a lot of a lot of similar questions throughout. I know what you guys we know what you guys want to know about. And uh, hopefully we deliver a little bit of insight there on the, how the situa- situations are playing out and what this team is capable of these next couple of weeks and going forward. A true Helium Boys podcast, a uniting of worlds here. <laughs> and I wore my Under Armour gear. I didn't expect to get that much Maryland talk, but I, I, I'm glad I did it in my alumni sponsored year we want to give you your sign chris come on as long as we don't have to visually see that pattern of the maryland pattern we're good it's not a pattern it's just black it's just a black hoodie it's black. no i'm talking about the maryland pattern okay you know what it I'm takes that about. job though they put the entire flag down the the freaking <laughs> the freaking wall of students that's the tradition so if he takes that job he better get used to it but he went there so he knows yeah, well, if, if whoever takes the job, I hope they show up to the, uh, the the opening press conference in a suit that looks like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Chris, that's going to wrap this segment up. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back with a, a special guest to uh, talk a little bit about you know the upcoming trajectory of USC as well as this player's journey to come to USC. I hope you ask them questions and don't make them ask you questions. We'll see. We'll see what happens. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Well, now welcome in our special guest this week, sixth-year senior, Chavez Goodwin. Chavez, thanks for taking the time to join us on the, the Herd on the Sidelines podcast. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. 
Well, I got to start. Since this podcast is called the Herd on the Sidelines podcast, let's start with what you heard and saw this weekend playing in a hostile environment in Matthew Knight Arena. What was that atmosphere like, and what, what did you kind of take away from, from you guys being able to get that victory up there in such a hostile environment? Probably one of the better environments we played in all season. Um, that in Arizona was probably the probably two most hostile environments we played in up to this point. Um, it was super fun playing in there. Um, it was a little – the theme of the arena really kind of like, you know, takes you for a second because the court's looking crazy. And then around the court, it's like just dark seats and then it goes straight up. It doesn't go back. It goes straight up. So, like, it just seems like everybody's towering over you. But it was a super cool environment. I love playing in it. The student section was into it. The fans are into it. So it wasn't one of those, like, it was sold out, but no one was cheering. It was one of those, like, everyone's into it from the start of the game to the end of the game, honestly. Yes, for those that don't know, Chavez began his career at College of Charleston. He transferred to Wofford for three years before grad transferring to USC. How would you say the Pac-12 arenas and fans compared to some of the places you played at previously in your career? And for those who don't know, just because you played at a couple of smaller schools doesn't mean you didn't play in some big arenas. You played at places like Mississippi State, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Butler. Let's not forget at North Carolina, at Duke, at Kansas. You played in some great environments, some historic college basketball arenas. How does the Pac-12 kind of measure up? Pac-12 measures up pretty well with the places I've played at. It's not as a top of the best I've been in, but they're up there uh, for sure. Finally getting to play at each and every one after this year. The only place I didn't play until Saturday was Oregon. I played everywhere else so in the Pac-12, so it was kind of cool to see that. As far as measuring up-wise, like the best arenas I've been in, my college career, Kansas holds the holds the top seat, no doubt about it, because it's like they're there when you're at shoot-around. The fans are already <laughs> at shoot-around. You leave, you have free game meal, you chill for a second, you come back to the arena to get go and play. And there's still and there's more of them and they're still coming in. They're coming in there and, and the game doesn't start in three hours. And they're already there cheering and booing you in from the from the jump. And then after the game, they stay there until everyone leaves the court and like they're really into it. They have their own thing with the rock talk, Jay off and everything. You're just like, wow, this is like dedication that you wish every fan base had some sort of because it's crazy. But Kansas is up there by itself. I was going to ask you what was your most memorable one, but yeah, I definitely think Kansas USC did play them about uh, a decade ago, and there was a I think an eleven a.m. game. I remember we had breakfast uh, for the media meal, um, and there were there were people lined up, and it was cold outside. This was in December, late December, and they were they were lined up at like five or six a.m. to to get ready for that game. Yeah, playing Kansas twice. The first time we played them. Well, uh, first time I played them was really cool, just the experience. But like playing them for like the first first half, we were like up and we were actually like beating them. And then the second half, they kind of pulled away from us, and they beat us by thirty. So the second time I got a chance to play them, I was like, I definitely need to beat this team because they hold they hold they hold the L over me right now. So we need to beat them. So I was happy like last year we got the chance to go out there playing the tournament and, and beat them like we did. So it was really cool. Last year, handing Kansas their worst loss in a NCAA tournament game ever. What would you say has been your most memorable uh, USC college experience so far? I mean, would it be that Kansas game? Would it be the Elite Eight? I know the NCAA tournament was weird last year. I know the the entire season was pretty weird. Uh, would that be up there? Or, you know, was, would it be that UCLA sellout earlier? What kind of stands out about your USC experience? What's been the most memorable part so far? Hard to say because not over yet, but probably most stand out like just an experience is probably just going through the tournament. Honestly, like each game. Um, I've never had an experience like that where we just kept going and going. You see people go home and people keep going home and they're still there. It's like kind of cool, but it's kind of like uh, the bubble. But that was probably, probably the coolest experience I had in USC so far. 
I would say the UCLA games are probably the second, even though like we didn't have fans. But the first, the last one we had fans, so it was pretty cool. But that was probably up there too. But yeah, definitely this is the experience of the tournament going from beginning all the way to like the Elite Eight. Really cool. Yeah, the the bubble experience was unique in the fact that you know you guys are staying in a hotel. There's some other teams that are in the same hotel, and you know when a team loses. They're basically on a bus and out that night. Uh, you know, they weren't sticking around for very long at all. So, you know, the the hotel it seemed like you probably guys got a little bit more free reign and kind of could say, "Hey, this is our domain. This is our hotel." Uh, as more and more teams exited. Yeah, definitely. It was kind of like you know, like Hunger Games. Like there's flags, <laughs> like Bobby, and then each day you come downstairs and the flags, one flag will be gone. The flag will be gone. You're just like, shit. I don't want our flag to be gone. That's scary. So it's kind of like that in that sense. Now, you have such a treasure trove of experience, having just played, I think, your 167th career game, six-year senior, senior, same as Isaiah White. But you guys also have some young bucks on the team uh, that are, you know, making some big contribution, Kobe Johnson, Reese Dixon Waters, even the Aussie, Harrison Hornery. Uh, what kind of advice do you give those younger guys when, you know, this is more kind of like an NBA roster where you got some older guys, you got some vets, but you also got the, the young bucks at the same time? My best advice is just to enjoy the moment of being a freshman because uh, I know how freshmen are coming into college. Everyone expects you to be, like, ready to be in the NBA now, like, automatically just because the way our societies are set up. But I just tell them, like, just enjoy the moment of being where you're at because, like, you still play. You might not play the minutes you want, but it's better than just not playing at all. So just enjoy the moment. When you go in there, they help us win. Like, don't worry, <laughs> worry about your status. Just win the game. Like, Really simple. Like, yeah, they, that's the easiest role. That's why I like when I was at Walker. I came off the bench, and I just you know if I come off the bench, I'm just going to help us win a game. I don't know how, but I know how I will. And that's kind of how I kept getting more minutes and more minutes and more minutes. And before you know, you're just in the game all the time. That was kind of your role last year as well. You come off the bench, and you, you're just going to be a junkyard dog, you know, attacking the offense glass. You can foul a little bit more because you're not going to be playing as many minutes. How is that your role shifted this season now that you're more of a focal point of the offense, the ball's coming into you, and you're they're playing through you a little bit more than last year where you were more of a complimentary piece with Isaiah and Evan, you know, having the ball run through their hands more often? Um, it's cool. It's a little different. It's a little more – it's a little, little less – like I can't be less aggressive at times than I was in the past. Like certain times like I can't just go and attack and be like, I'm going to the glass, I'm going to the glass, I'm going to the glass. Sometimes I'm like, I can't go. If I go, it's going to be over the back and I'm going to be out of the game. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to call all the physical stuff I do because they know I'm a physical player. So I got to be a little bit more smarter and just kind of like know when to attack and when not to attack, which sucks. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I play ball so all the time. So, like, for me to have to, like, you know, kind of, like, look around and pace myself and, like, try to plan out the game. Like, okay, it's this minute mark. We can be a little more aggressive. Or it's this minute mark. We need to dial it back a little bit. Stuff like that. But other than that, I love, I love the role I have now. I really worked hard to get it. So I enjoy being where I'm at. Tell me a, bit, a little bit about that hard work. What What's something you really focus on the offseason? And where have you seen your game really take a, a bump up this year? Just confidence. Just playing. Just getting – just being, like, the best version of myself, honestly. I feel like I'm a versatile player. I can do a lot of different things on the court. Which is a good, which is a good thing and a bad thing because it's good because I can do a lot of things and I, so when I need to do something, I can't. It's bad because like it makes it hard for the coaches to know where where to put you and how to play. Mm-hmm. So it's like a kid gets in the curse. But I just work. I just focus on just being the best overall, overall, well-rounded player I can be in any situation. So that was my biggest thing this all season, just working on my shooting, handling, bats to bats moves, all that stuff, and. And when the game time came, I just did what I do best and 
went to my strengths and, you know, and just see what happens, just play with confidence. You've obviously taken a huge step up in your game. You've been been that you know second or third option on the offense, um, and, and obviously you you had to fill some big big uh, shoes with Evan Mobley going to the draft, and everyone kind of had having to step their game up. How has the dynamic been different on this team versus other teams you've been on in the past, and particularly last year's team? What's what's the dynamic like this year? With kind of the COVID, you know, everyone getting an extra year. So you do have guys that are 18 years old. You got guys that are 24. How would you say this year's team's dynamic is different than the other ones you've been on in the past? Just in the well, and the one aspect is different because, like you said, age the age range is ridiculous. It's crazy. <laughs> you got one, you got some kids that are like, like you said, 18, and then me and Isaiah White are like 23. So it's like a five year difference between all of us, or just in that span of the age group. But I think the thing about our team that's really cool is that we are resilient. We don't have, like, anybody on our team that's kind of, like, gives up or, like, be like, ah, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? You, you can kind of count on anybody to go in the game and, like, just help you help you win the game, which is, like, weird. But it's kind of like similar to my Wofford team where, like, when we had, our, when we had like, a, when we were really good, we had, like, oh, you could put, like, 10 of us, play 10 of us, almost 11 of us. And I think it's the same thing with this team. Like, you could play up to, like, 10 of us or 11 of us and, Still get a really good result from guys from anybody because so everybody wants to win and they want to, you know, what I'm saying be do their best. I feel like that's just a big thing because certain teams are bad. There's always just like one guy that goes and gets his his buckets and everybody else is kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to play hard today or you know, what I'm saying it's, there's mm-hmm. more question marks versus our team is like everyone wants to go play whether they get five points, zero points, or twenty points. They just do want to go out there and play and help, help win. That, like that's how our practices are. Our practices are completely competitive about who's going to win. So that's all every guy's And you guys have had different guys step up at different times. You know, you stepped up uh, last week against Washington. You had 24 Washington, points, uh, nine rebounds. What was it like, though, having Dad out there to see you play in person? I know that was something that, that you had been looking forward to. He hadn't come out and, and, and seen you play in the Galen Center yet. He was out last weekend for the, the Senior Day festivities. You know, what was it like having him and the family come out to see you play? I mean, everything in the world, just having them out there to see me play, uh, you know, not even being from this side of the country. So, like, having my dad get a, get a chance to come cross country and actually see me play in a Pac-12 game was actually really cool because I know I'm growing up as a kid, like, we watched so much North Carolina and Duke, them playing. But, like, at night, like, me and my dad are basketball junkies. So, if we had anything else to do at night, we would literally still be watching, like, a basketball games. So, Pac-12 games are something we watch just as much as we watch anything else. And I remember – just being like, damn, if I, what if I, well, I asked him once, I was like, what if I actually play over there one day? Like, would you actually come for a game? He's like, wherever you're going, I'm going to watch you play. So it was really cool to see that kind of come full circle and like him be able to watch me play, obviously. So it was great. It was just great. <laughs> you you are from South Carolina, and where, where you, when people say USC, they mean some other school. Uh, but you went to, yeah. to two schools in the state of South Carolina as, as well. What ultimately made you leave home for the final year? Of, college, of your college career that ended up turning into two two years uh, with the, the co- extra COVID year? The thing that made me leave home is just because I, I think I just outgrew the state in the whole. Like, I, like you said, I did everything I could do with that state. I played at two different colleges in that state. I played all, lived my whole life there, played high school, middle school, all that. And since I climbed, after a while, I was just found like, all right, um, I mean, what else, can, what else can I possibly do here? Like, <laughs> There's nothing else, much else for me to do. So, like, let me just go ahead and try try something new. Like, I'm I'm young. I have a lot of time left. Like, 
why not just go and try something new? So that's what kind of like drove me to be like, all right, I'm ready to go to South Carolina. I've done everything I can do here. You got come out to USC. You've obviously had a solid two seasons. You talk about that in, in a way that's kind of a, one of those life lessons you kind of have taken away from basketball. What's the biggest life lesson you've taken away from your college basketball career? Uh, nothing's guaranteed. And believing in yourself is a, it's just like it's the biggest step, honestly. Uh, once I learned that nothing was guaranteed or nothing's like promised, no matter what the situation is, I kind of like took it as like, oh, I have to get better every day. I have to work hard every day. I can't just like take this for granted. Whether it is a game or practice, like it's, if it's a chance for me to get better, I'm going, to, I'm going to get as good as I can. And also just believing in yourself. Like my freshman year, I didn't have really any confidence in myself. I was just out there kind of just playing. It was like probably the worst I ever felt playing basketball, honestly. Wow. So like getting back to being, believing in myself and playing like hard every single, every single exact day is something I really had to get back to doing. And honestly, that's the one thing I feel like I put in into like life and that's made me a lot better as a player as well. So. I can't even be upset. I should be happy with that. How did you build that confidence back up? Uh, working, like just working out, like just being in the gym, constantly being a gym rat. Then, then just talking to my dad and him reminding me, like, hey, you're you're saying I don't want to say championship. You're, hey, you're saying I don't want in middle school. Hey, you're saying I don't want everywhere you've been, like everywhere, every team you've been on, your teams have turned into a winning team. So don't let that just go by the wayside or forget about that. Like you're a winner. Like just go ahead and be yourself and. Everything else will take care of itself. So after that, I was just like, yeah, he's right. Everywhere I go, I, I win. Like, my team win. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter what, what school it is. Like, I, I find a way for all my team win, win games. It helped USC get to the Elite Eight last year. This team has been has basically played to their competition. Now, you know, for better and worse, when you guys have played really good teams, you've played great. When you have played uh, teams that aren't as, as, as talented as you, you guys played down to that. What, what has gone into that? And then – with the fact that you play two ranked teams the last two games of regular season, you're going to play some tough teams in the Pac-12 tournament, enter the NCAA tournament. What is this team capable of over the, le- the next month or so? They were capable of, of getting to the NCAA tournament championship game and, and possibly winning it, honestly. I think that's how good we are. I, people say we're playing up or down to our competition. I don't really believe that. I feel like it's college basketball. Like, anything can happen. The fact that we survived and like actually had like the chance to you know win those games that were like everybody was like ooh specific that's scary you know, how do you guys almost lose that or whatever the case might be or UC Irvine or whatever the case might be like I just feel like it's just us getting better as a team being more balanced tested for March because there's gonna be teams like UC Irvine and Pacific that are everybody's gonna be like oh this this two C team should beat them and they'll mess around and, and they'll lose and then everybody's like in shock like last year when uh. Or Roberts beat Ohio State, and I was like, "How? How did that happen?" You know what I'm saying? Because like you're not you're not prepared to play teams like that. I feel like our team just play every every version of what you can lose to in March this season, and we've come out on nine times out of ten on the winning side. So people can take it away as like, "Oh, you're not dominating teams," or "Are oh, you not beating teams?" We take it as like, "Well, we're we're beating every type of team you can put throw in front of you for March." So when March comes, I feel like we're the we're the most dangerous team because we've seen every every type of like matchup you can think of. Up to this point, and have and have conquered most. You guys are twenty five and four right now. You've got a huge game against Arizona on Tuesday. It'll be your final game in the Galen Center. But you guys already did the Senior Day festivities. It got pretty emotional for you. Can you walk me through what led to those emotions? Talking to my dad, my dad was saying like he's like he's like, he was saying like look look now look at us we finally made it. To- <laughs> national TV on senior day and there was a time where we were just working out in the small like gold gym and like 
life with South Carolina where there was nobody in there. It was just me and him shooting at night, constantly working and working and working, putting in extra hours of work, just trying to just trying to even get just one college basketball scholarship at the time. And now we're like sitting here at USC, like like I'm starting and he's out here like being able to walk me to my senior day, you know. And it was just kind of like when he said all that, kind of just hit me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the only reason why I cried. Like, when my dad said stuff like that, it's like a ton of break, honestly. So uh, that was, that just kind of made me really emotional and choke up a little bit. Yeah, you and your father obviously have a really close relationship. Unfortunately, your mother passed away when you were young to breast cancer, and your dad was left to raise you and your brother. What has, has that relationship meant to you, your basketball career, and just the, the, the young man that you've become? Uh, it means a lot just because, like, like you said, not growing without a mom and only having a dad, it kind of just made me more tougher, tough skin from the beginning. And just kept, you know, just looked at life in a different perspective, I think, from other kids who had both parents or just their mom. Um, it was kind of like more or less just like, all right, get up and work. It wasn't more or less just like babying me or anything like that. It's kind of like just like from the start, we just worked and worked and just did different things and always on the go, always active, you know, just like no, no real emotions attached to uh, what we were doing. When I was a kid, but uh, honestly, it was just like still super cool to have my dad because he was great. He's a great parent overall. Like I couldn't ask for a better parent, honestly. Well, he he raised a, a terrific young man. He's become a terrific basketball player for USC to help him to get to where they're at. But you did say that you and Isaiah White were twenty three. You just turned twenty four. Let's let's not uh, you know let's not let you get away with that. You're becoming an old man now, Chavez. Yeah, I just had my birthday yesterday, 24, super happy about it. Got to see, you know what I'm saying, another year of life, and I can't even be more happy than that because lots of people don't get to see that many years. So I am super happy about that for sure. Well, the Jordan year went pretty well for you and the Trojans. You made it to the Elite Eight last year while you were 23 years old. We'll see what 24 carries for you, the Kobe Bryant year uh, being out in L.A. So best of luck the rest of the season, Chavez, and thanks for taking the time to jump on with us. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Chavez Goon for joining us on the Herded on the Sidelines podcast as he was on his way to the gym to get some extra work in. Thanks as well to Chris Trevino for his help with the Q&A and his Maryland perspective. And thank you to everyone who submitted questions on the Peristyle and Twitter. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, all those other things. Let us know your favorite part of the show on the Peristyle message board as well. We appreciate you all for joining us and hope to be back with you soon. I'm your host, Shotgun Sproutling, and this has been the Herd on the Sidelines podcast, a part of the Peristyle podcast family. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.